one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today, I have a beautiful new friend who I met at the Telluride Yoga Festival. She was also a teacher there and came to one of my classes. And she just has this kind of twinkly bright spirit about her. We got talking and I was like, let's chat on the podcast because I want more people to know about you. Her name is Kali Durga or Kali Baseman. She is a yin teacher, she is a psychotherapist, and she also practices Buddhist philosophies and intertwines all of these in her own teaching that she offers in the form of classes and trainings and retreats. We discuss her journey into yoga, and I ask her the serious question about yin, because if you've listened to me long enough, you know I have very mixed feelings about yin yoga, but uh, Kali might have convinced me that it is a great practice to practice with her because she brings such mindfulness and attention into it in ways that are really important. She is a beautiful person inside and out, so please enjoy my conversation with Kali. Welcome, Kali. So happy to have you on here. I know we've been working on having you on here ever since we met at Telluride Yoga Festival. So mm-hmm. I'm glad to have you here. Long time coming. Glad to yes. be here. Well, let's launch right off with um, you telling us your story. Every Everybody that teaches yoga, even pe- that practices yoga, has some kind of story of how you chose this path. But in particular, when you're a leader in the field, um, I'd love to hear your personal story and your journey. Mm. Yeah, I'd be happy to share. And I, I want to kind of initiate this tale by by sharing that I recognize and have heard so many stories of uh, people finding yoga and it being this like 
love at first sight, like all features of disdain and disappointment healed and wounds healed and their life forever changed the this moment they stepped into their first yoga class and I've heard that sentiment a lot and I wish that I had a romantic story like that a, a fall in love tale where it's happily ever after but you know my relationship with Yoga is is much more of a, a long-term relationship, less instantaneously satisfying, and uh, and years of knowing that the wisdom practice would benefit and yet not seeing drastic results right away. So it was really several years uh, first introduced to yoga in high school, felt like it was a bit of a waste of time, but there was something in me that knew that there was also something here to investigate. And so it was little by little through my early years in college as well, just kind of dipping a toe in and having moments of lucidity, moments of clarity, and then back to the grind and back to you know, what, what we sometimes call ignorance, right? Just the, the layers of the mundane world. And every so often stepping back onto the mat, mat like those would be cleared a bit and there'd be a, a glimmer of insight. And years like that, years of, of just a, a patient coming back to the practice again and again and commitment built and more insights were gleaned. And so it was this steady on-ramp um, after many years recognizing the slow evolution that occurs with daily practice rather than this snap of I'm awake, I'm alive, and I'm forever changed. So it's it's been a, a, a long-term relationship, as I said, and it's it's years of, of practice and then moments, flash insights, whether on a silent retreat or in a deep meditation or in deep grief, these different portals of awakening that um, then those, those sudden flashes of upgrades also occurred. Mm. That sounds like a very healthy relationship, actually, you know, it's kind of like a marriage where some people fall in love instantaneously and it's very, you know, uh, you know, it's that kind of crush that becomes something more. But often um, with a long term relationship, there is, like you said, more of a kind of gentle pathway in. And but then the commitment to continue to un, unfold and reveal the depth and that depth can really only, I think, be fully felt by, like you said, the commitment to keep showing up. And so there was obviously something that kept you coming back. In that journey, was there something that hooked you? Like after you had been going and, and deliberating and investigating, but something else that really hooked you so that this actually became your avocation? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love the analogy of, of the marriage versus kind of the, that instantaneous falling in love. And actually I, I joke often with students and 
speaking about yin versus yang practices. And I say that, you know, vinyasa can sometimes feel like a one night stand. You know, you. Hold on, everybody. There's a little break in this. Oh. oh no. Oh, hold on. Okay, sorry. You just kind of froze. Did I freeze as well? You did, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully that will not happen again. Um, so Will, we'll we'll pick up with you saying um vinyasa can feel like a one night stand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I I often joke with students that when I'm when I'm speaking about the difference between yin versus yang practices, that vinyasa can often feel like a one night stand and yin is more like a long time marriage. So the, the one night stand, you, you come in, you know, you pick a sexy peak pose, you have the climax, you take a breath, it's, it's all over. Um, and with yin, the, the slower stillness of dedication, of commitment, of, of moving through difficulty, greeting edges and enduring. And, and that's really the style or the domain of, of yoga that helped me remember basic nature or what, what we call Buddha nature. And it's that, that that kept me coming back to the mat, those moments of holding a pose, recognizing what in my system feels difficult, or edgy, and then staying with whatever's arising. And in that, particularly through the early years in college, as I'm still finding myself and, and working through body image issues, self-esteem issues, interpersonal dramas, um, the, the path ahead and not knowing where to turn, feeling like the the pantheon of yin poses was a really good format to learn how to stay with myself, even when the pose wasn't satisfying or sexy and, and seeing what was underneath all of that, this, this earnest kind of yearning to be with myself, this willingness to stay with myself irrespective of the conditions going on around me or even inside of me. Hmm. So I'm curious because I have experienced um, people who have taken yin and gotten injured. And so I'm wondering how you guide people to that, to those edges that you're talking about mm -hmm. with the mindfulness to not, that discomfort should not I, what I think Yin at its best is doing is getting you to help regulate your nervous system mm -hmm. by not immediately responding to a sensation. But how do you direct people to discern between that being still and just people being so used to popping around and doing going from one thing to the other versus the discomfort of actually the joints or the ligaments um, getting stressed out. Yeah, I love this inquiry and I'm happy to address it. I think in particular, because you're right, what, what you're touching on is the, the one of the fundamental objectives of yin is to 
retrain or rewire the stimulus response of regularized reactivity. So that uh, fight or flight mechanism that wants to either pounce or uh, contract or flee from a circumstance that we would call non-preferable, you know, whether that feels dangerous or just unpleasant. Uh, and so there's a, a deeper, a deeper willingness to recognize the onset of stimulus, you know, uh, an uncomfortable stretch or meeting an edge, as we say in yin, and then making a choice there. And the choice being, you know, dulling out, getting apathetic or hypermobilizing in a way that you're distracting yourself or you're plotting your escape or you're tensing up or all of a sudden your fingernails have become the most fascinating feature to, to uh, study. So there's all of these different ways that we uh, escape from discomfort. And there's the choice when we meet that resistance about what to what action to take. And that line of meeting stimulus and then responding rather than the immediate reactivity, there's a space there, the, the distinction between reactivity and, and response. There's a space that the practitioner develops and cultivates to decide the most skillful action. Is it to breathe and stay and linger, kind of hover at the wall of resistance? Is it to deepen in, find a deeper fold in the range of motion? Or sometimes the response is skillfully to disengage from the intensity of the stretch and back off. And particularly for hypermobile yogis who are often drawn to yin, myself included, the skillful practice has, has really become for me pulling back from the end range and, and more stabilizing, hugging around the joint capsule and protecting areas of vulnerability. So not necessarily to say that the edge is the edge range of motion, but it's that moment of hovering with full self, full intentionality and choosing what to do with the information that occurs. So the, the learning there too will, will require, there's an education around the unavoidable pain of having a human body and the ways that we're constantly trying to elude that. And, and there's a training there in staying with, of course. But then there's what we'd call risky pain, which is more of that, you know, short, sharp kind of nerve damage signaling that uh, longtime meditators have, have often ignored and then have, you know, life, lifetimes of knee pain. So there's a skillful response. And in that bringing yourself fully to the wall of resistance and lingering there and choosing a response there's more resources internally to decide if pushing forward would be harmful or helpful. And so I think that most people in the yin practice who do endure injuries aren't trained in the distinction between risky pain and 
the kind of more obtuse, diffusive pain of, of having a, a human form, and then making a decision that isn't driven by parts of the psyche that have tendencies for perfection or pushing past. Yes. So, and, and I think you're alluding to what I would want everyone to um, investigate and inquire about with any form of yoga practice, any kind of movement practice, is the, the person, the teacher that is guiding you, are they educating you about this? And I think, again, like, like you're mentioning, with, with the skillful and very articulate um, guidance that is not wedded in any kind of in-range emotion or any kind of, you know, doing it better. And that could be also in vinyasa, you know, like not, you don't have to do a million chaturangas or you handstand or anything like that to see nirvana. You know, it's more of a invitation to investigate yourself and investigate your tendencies. So you hinted at hypermobility. How did, have you ever been injured from your hypermobility? Mm. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I'll, I agree that, that in every movement form, every domain of intermingling mind and body, there's, there's an opportunity to really investigate kind of these subtle body languages. Like we have these hieroglyphics of areas in the body that, that are reaching out for loving attention. And I think with, with the yin practice specifically, there's a lot of space in each pose to excavate a little bit deep, deeper, uh, how the subtle body's speaking to you and, and kind of coaxing you into more loving awareness in one region or the propensity to go deeper in another. So for me, it's definitely, and this is really interesting how, how much the yin practice is interwoven into the, or braided within the emotional body, because the, the pain that emerges for me in practice life often is hinged upon what's occurring in everyday life outside the mat. So just to give an example, when I'm feeling really overwhelmed and I have too much on my plate and I've said yes to too many things and my Google calendar is ridiculously stacked and all of that, uh, there's, there's like this certain ache in my wrists that starts to emerge. And it's almost as if my hands are just saying like, we're holding too much. We've got too much on the plate. And, and so that, that really is woven into my yoga practice and particularly for any weight bearing in the hands. I can feel that in plank and the chaturangas and the down dogs. And so I've, I've really gravitated to a lot of shoulder girdle stability and the strengthening along the, the sides of the ribs, the scapula as a way to um, take the pressure off of, of the wrists and the hands. Um, so, so wrists have been a big one for me, hands, the kind of distribution of weight from the chest through the shoulder girdle and out has been really important to rewire 
and and then knees as well. And I, I mentioned, I mentioned, you know, long life lifetime meditators who who take sukhasana every day for hours on end. And and I I've definitely also when I teach retreat and and lead trainings, I'm I'm in sukhasana eight hours a day or so. And so um, there's there's definitely been that propensity towards vulnerability in the knees as well. And so both both hands and knees uh, are areas or regions of vulnerability. And for me and my system and the yin poses have been the most regenerative mechanism to bring fresh chi to these vulnerable regions and and strengthen. Hmm. So can you now explain how you have taken the practice of yin and the teaching of yin and interwoven it with some Buddhist philosophies and teachings and what that looks like? Yes. I'd be so happy to. I'm I'm really as I'm aging and refining my own practice and my teaching life, I'm feeling much more like a a Dharma teacher and less of a yoga teacher. So as as the practices have ripened in me, I'm sensing for my own practice and for the ways that I'm teaching that the poses have really just become more of an excuse (laughs) to investigate some of the deeper folds of the psyche that just don't have a chance to be contemplated when we're focusing heavily on the breathing body or on the architecture of the pose. So of course, layering safety and stability in the posture, but once we've found a sustainable way in to the shape, Yin really offers this opportunity to inquire about how we're really doing. Hmm. And I've, I've had a, a teacher tell me once, it's the questions you ask or are not asking that will determine your, your spiritual life. And so I really feel like most of us are starved for these deeper questions. How are you really, you know, what are you suffering? What are you celebrating? Where are your edges? Uh, and what parts of you have been exiled? What, what has felt burdened in the system that just hasn't had a chance to become more buoyant with the light of awareness, with the light of recognition and, and with a, a hand holding. So I, I intermingle a lot of depth psychology methods, internal family systems is, is a strong one, and that's heart's work. Uh, but also the, the pantheon of Buddhist psychology and the inner method practices that help us navigate dissatisfactoriness in life, which is unavoidable. Uh, and, and so, you know, rather than turning towards the bliss body, which I think so much of the yoga world has a bias towards that the practice should feel light and expansive and joyful and open. 
Um, but if that's all that you're getting on the mat, then you won't have cultivated the resources to deal with difficulty. And that's certainly one of the strongest intentions behind my practice is that it creates a pillar in my inner being that knows how to be with suffering, with dukkha. And I, I love I love the Buddha's insights about this, that, that suffering is really a most strongly informed by our responsiveness or our reactivity. So what better way to train how we meet the world and how we meet discomfort than in a long Haldian pose where the potential for boredom or disappointment is ripe. Mm. So in those questions, where would you say, in what ways are you suffering? Or in what ways are you celebrating right now? Mm, in my personal practice field. In any way. Okay. <laughs> mm. Right now, I'm suffering the, the realization of a shorter time frame than I thought was pliable for me in a, a deep relationship with my family and my parents specifically. So, you know, after high school, I moved away and went to college. And ever since then, they, they really opened the, the doors to the world. And I stepped through. I think this is um, valid to hear for you, as I know your your son is is taking off soon, and and there's this this thought that I certainly had, and I know my parents had um, that at some point in the future we might all live together again, or you know the village will reconvene at some point. And uh, now in my 30s, recognizing that. You know, for the last decade, it's been a relationship marked by brief holidays and times home and phone call check-ins. And, and there's never been that time where we've all, my, my siblings now scattered across the globe, all living vastly different lives and uh, really beautiful opportunities, really full, rich lives that, that each of us have claimed um, and yet there's this realization of, of we don't have an infinite, infinite amount of time. And my death is certain. My, my parents' death is, is very certain and imminent. And so there's a suffering of, you know, recognizing that my human psyche and, and most of ours, I think, has the tendency to think at some point later on, there'll be a better opportunity to connect. There'll be a better opportunity to, to deepen and, and refine a relationship and ask the questions and, you know, write the book and, and whether we have another 30 years or another 30 days, the, the impending realization that time is limited. We only have a certain amount, an unknown amount of time uh, to be with the people that 
really matter most. Mm, that's beautiful. And it's so universal, I think. I think everyone, because it's like you have to be able to almost hold two things that are very separate. And one is experiencing your personal growth, which for many is going to take you on a path away from right. your primary family. Mm -hmm. Some people, they can do it and they're nearby, but it, it, for so many in this modern day culture, that is just part of it. You have to get a job and move somewhere. You might meet somebody and move somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then if you have siblings, they're each individually doing that too. And you mm -hmm. have that on one hand because you want that. You know, my mom said it best, I'm one of four. And we all scattered. We're all on the East Coast, but she said, I wanted my babies to fly, but then they did. You know, it's kind of like this, that two things, like you want it. You want it for your kids, you want it for yourself. And then at the other hand, wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be amazing to have, like I always, like I'd be in France, uh, I remember that this is just an example, but going and seeing these massive homes that, you know, these uh, royalties lived in and thinking, wouldn't it be amazing to have a compound where we're all in the same, you know, it's like a fantasy dream because it's not ever going to happen, at least most likely not. And so it is really hard to hold those two things. And I think you expressed it so well that it, it inevitably requires we carry around a little pain that that's not going to be uh, transformed for many of us to be able to do two things uh, well, it, it's it really challenging f for all the cards to line up. So thank you for that vulnerability. Mm. Yeah. Well, what are you celebrating? <laughs> I'm sure you're celebrating yes. a lot. <laughs> yes. Well, that's true. I really think the, you know, the, the willingness to hold sorrow equates to the depth of, of joy that we're able to to celebrate as well. So I I definitely am a soul that signed up for the whole range of human experience, the bitter, the beautiful, uh, what Jack Cornfield calls the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows of being alive. So there's, there's a lot of acknowledgement about dukkha, about suffering, my own personal landscape and also just what's occurring globally right now, you know, how, how could we not feel the weight and the anxiety of that? Uh, but with that just deepens uh, a space in my being to feel a lot of contentment and satisfaction and yeah, the, the golden glimmer of, of being alive in this human body again for, for who know, who knows how long. Um, but in this moment, while I am alive and awake and aware, I'm celebrating having the, the freedom in my days to practice as much as I want to practice. I, I have a really kind of ingrained morning routine of several hours of movement and meditation and, and recognizing what a privilege that is. Um, not only just to have the, the liberated calendar to be able to choose how many hours I'm investing in, in the practice field, but also to have the physical body at this stage um, that can run and hike and rock climb and uh, hold yoga poses. So I'm, 
I'm celebrating that, that even as um, I'm turning 33 this year and, and, and feeling the aging process, like feeling some of the mourning of, of decay and um, changes in, in my body, but knowing also that there's, there's still a, a vibrancy of youth that I'm, I'm grateful for. And I know I'll miss a hell of a lot at some point. So just really wanting to soak that up while it's here, while I have the range of motion in the joints and the juiciness in the kidneys and the kind of creative luster for life, just, just celebrating that particularly in the summer when it feels so playful. Well, I'm turning 53 this year, so I got 20 years on you, and I promise the next 20 will be, especially the way you're taking care of yourself. In so many ways, I feel better than I did even 20 years ago. So I think mm-hmm. it's uh, it's good to know that. Yes, there is some inevitability, but it might not be for many, many decades. <laughs> I hope so. If I have this to look forward to, in my <laughs> I have a lot to celebrate. Yes, yes, indeed. Well. Tell us where um, we can find out more about you, everybody that's listening, the offerings you have, um, and and where people can look deeper into this beautiful being named Kali. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So my website, first and foremost, is the most uh, overarching resource of all things yin and the buddha dharma and internal family systems therapy so i intermingle all of those in most of the offerings i give and that's you know a lot of virtual these days as we've all been nudged towards but so excited and also celebrating the opportunities for in-person practice whether it's 20-hour yin intensives these weekend workshops and um, that i I really want to make these programs accessible to people that can't take, you know, 200 hours in a month in Costa Rica. Like there's ways to to train weekend long full immersions that that really do catapult us into the next level of the practice field. So there's 20 hour weekend workshops, there's 50 hour week long yin and mindfulness retreats and trainings. Uh, I also do one-on-one mentorship, um, particularly for teachers that are interested in hosting retreats themselves and learning how to kind of break away from like what I call the studio grind. And I think that that's really essential in, in honing and developing curriculum that speaks towards our our calling and for yoga teachers to find that without, you know, feeling the pressure of being innovative, innovative in an hour long sequence. So I have retreat apprenticeship offerings and you work one-on-one with me to develop that. Um, all of this and more on my website, it's kalidurgayoga.com. And you can find me on Instagram as well, kalidurga. I love that. All that will be in the show notes. So closing off, what would you say is if you were to have like one mantra for life, what is something that you turn to or think of Mm -hmm. that really um, is like a beacon for you? Mm. Yeah, this is a, a mantra I 
I say in yin poses when when they're feeling difficult and then also just in the mundane trajectory of everyday life when that gets difficult it's um it's actually less of a mantra and more of an inquiry or you could call it a yin query these <laughs> these poses these questions we pose in yin states so here it is even though i'm feeling fill in the blank bored anxious angry whatever it is, even though I'm feeling blank, am I willing to be with myself as it is right now? Mm. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you for sharing your heart and your passion and just your intelligent, spiritual um, self and your own journey. I really appreciate it. And so happy that our paths have crossed. Thank you so much for hosting. It's it's an honor and a privilege to connect with you and hope to continue these dialogues. For absolutely, whoever. absolutely, because you live in beautiful places. So wait for me. <laughs> yes, I'm here. Come on out. <laughs> and for everybody listening, thank you so much. And as always, I'm pulling for you. <laughs> <laughs>